Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. This is Histories of the Unexpected. He's the famous historical adventurer, Dr. Sam Willis. And he's Professor Extraordinaire of Early Modern British History at Plymouth University. He is Professor James Daybell. And we are your hosts for Histories of the Unexpected. Each week we discuss a surprising subject oozing with unexpected historical significance. And this week it's graffiti, which of course is all about the history of the plague and also the history of boredom. Now, for me, it's all about choice. It's about whether you write or you draw. And it's also about transition periods in your life in which you change as a person. If you like what you hear, please leave us a review on iTunes, subscribe to the podcast and tell all of your friends. We're on Twitter. You can follow me at Dr Sam Willis. And you can follow me at James Daybell. We're proud to be part of the excellent History Hit Network, home of Dan Snow's History Hit and other great shows coming soon. And you can find out more about what we've got planned in the forthcoming months, show notes, video clips, photos of everything we discuss and much, much more at historyhit.com forward slash unexpected. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode 18 of Histories of the Unexpected. We're 18. 18? Which is the coming of age. It means we can go to the pub. Excellent. We should do that immediately after this. We, we should do that, and but it also raises the important question of the history of age limits. We should have censorship. A, we, we should do a podcast on age. Yes, numbers. Numbers is great. Eighteen. Yes. Okay. We'll do one on eighteen. Yeah. How about that? Um, where will we audio googling through history? Um, that's what we do here at Histories Unexpected. Um, we explore the histories of things that you didn't even know had a significant story to tell, like the scar, laughter, even tears. And we'll be following the links in our minds as we come across them, explaining how simply everything has a history, and crucially, how those histories link together in unexpected ways. Who knew, for example, Sam, that the history of zombies is in fact all about the burning of books? <laughs> it's not. That's, that can't be true. No, no, no. It's all about the burning of books. It's about the mindlessness of individuals. Oh, right. Okay. Um, the, and the history of the mirror is in fact all about paranoia. The man sitting opposite me is the Donatello of dates. It's Professor James Daybell. And the man sitting opposite me is the hitman of history, it is Dr. Sam Willis. I've never been called a hitman before, but I quite like it. Together, we'll be piloting you on this uncharted, very dangerous flight into the past. We've got no idea where we're going to end up, but we've got a rough idea of where we're going to start. 
Each week one of us takes the lead. This week it's my turn. I always really like being able to go first because I can just be creative about all of these wonderful things. And this week we're going to be talking about something that has repeatedly come up in my life as a historian. When I'm going around often in very beautiful historic sites and the same theme has kept coming up for 10 years in my life. It's graffiti. Graffiti. Yeah. Excellent. Graffiti is a pet interest of mine as well. Ah, well this is go. something that I've const again constantly coming across. I mean, probably the, the most recent experience of graffiti that I've come across. It's not a historical one. It's a, it's a, it's a contemporary one. And it was wandering through Freedom Fields Park at the top of, of Plymouth. And you've got beautiful views all over Plymouth Sound. Michael Foote's memorial mm -hmm. is up there. And in the aftermath of Brexit, his memorial had been defaced. Really? It had been graffitied with offensive graffiti. Now, obviously, this gives us sort of various ways of starting to think about graffiti, that this is, it is sort of writing, drawing, scratching, scribblings, paint in a, in a public place for somebody, for people to look at publicly. But in this case, it was words, particularly. It was, it was, it was words and it was symbols. I think there were swastikas right. on it. So it, it, so it was a sort of, you know, far right kind of expression, um, you know, post, post Brexit, you know, with all the sort of, with all the sort of feelings um, uh, that have been, that have been sort of unleashed, but it was it was communicating something that was offensive. Mm. So it was doing it in a it was doing it in an anonymous way. Yeah. But it was communicating a particular kind of message, a particular kind of offensive message. Although the interesting thing then, and the interesting thing for the historian looking at graffiti, is what happened next. The memorial is cleaned. Ah. So the graffiti is 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 got rid of, you know, and councils around the country have teams that are charged with cleaning it up. Yeah. And so for us as historians, going back and actually looking for examples of graffiti in the past depends on it, on its survival. Yes. It depends on it not being erased. And it's also with location as well, because in that instance where the writing was put, it it it, it, it made perfect sense to have it. Yeah, exactly where it was on that um, on that memorial. Yeah. Whereas you also get um, graffiti, which is it, it's there because the people are there. It's yeah. not actually to do with the location per se. Yeah. It's yeah. It, um, it's it's evidence of someone having spent time there, and that's how I really got uh, became fascinated with the graffiti. Um, many years ago, I used to work at the SS Great Britain historic ship Brunel's historic ship um, in Bristol. Yeah, and down deep in the hold. So the, the, the ship's made of iron, okay? It's made of huge sheets of iron. But out of necessity, there's a lot of timber in there as well. And you can't really graffiti iron very well. It's quite difficult. But you can with the timber. And there are a handful of surviving ship's timbers, and they had names carved into them, and I was absolutely fascinated by them. So here are some, some nice photos of, of the, the timbers. Mm. Um... So we've got capital letters carved into the ship's timber here. Yes, so it's, it's one of the one of the things with with carving into wood. It's it's much easier to do straight lines. Yeah. So um, sort of of necessity, this this type of graffiti tends to look very similar, and um, we'll come back to other examples of it. But um, what I love about this is that it came from the period of the eighteen fifties, when the SS Great Britain was. Um, 
deeply involved in the gold rush and taking people to Australia. So there, the the journeys, the voyages that the crew, that passengers went on were immensely long. And it, it struck me at the time that what people were doing essentially is, well, there are two ways to think about it. One is boredom, and they were there, and it's like, I've got nothing else to do. There's not very much going on at the time. And I, I, I've got another couple of examples later on talking about that. Um, but it's a, it's a way of, of passing the time, and some of them are very beautiful. Some of them are, are, are very carefully done. Some of them are a bit more um, slapdash. But what they're doing, I think, is saying, we were here, we have endured, we have passed this time. And they're quite proud of it. They may be quite resentful of it, um, but it really made me think that when you're spending that long at sea, when these crew members, these these passengers were going all the way to Australia, the people who got off the ships in Sydney were not the same people that got on the ship in the UK. They changed. They'd changed. They'd, they'd gone through a transformative process. Mm. They'd grown up. They'd experienced the world in a new way. They'd experienced, obviously, the maritime world because mm. they'd been at sea for so long. They'd have seen sights. They would have made friends. They'd have um, gambled, won money, lost money, maybe fallen in love, um, experienced loss, all sorts of things. And for me, this this understanding of graffiti is, is very much to do with, with people changing and recording mm. and being happy with... with or pleased or wanting to to somehow mark that time in their lives into a wall. So do you think you can read all of those kinds of happenings, those relationships, all that sort of everyday, the, the sort of, I don't know, the mundanity of everyday life into that? Yes, um, I, I do. I mean, the, the mundane thing is 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 very interesting because... Another example which which I've come across, which is which is which I came um, when I was filming the series on castles, hmm. and there are all sorts of absolutely wonderful examples of graffiti in castles, particularly around the gatehouse. Yeah. Now, you, some of them go back a very long time, but the majority of them are from the 18th century hmm. um, and early 19th century, and that's all to do with um, castles and buildings being reused as prisons during the revolutionary Napoleonic Wars. Yeah. So hundreds of thousands of French, Spanish, Dutch, Danes, Americans all had to be housed somewhere when they were taken prisoner during the war. And um, they didn't have a, a an established prisoner of war camp system, so they put them in pre-existing strongholds, buildings, mm -hmm. and castles were used a lot. So the majority of, of these um, graffiti examples I saw when I was filming castles came from the, the mid 18th century where and a lot of them are French names. Hmm. So so um you've got you've got French prisoners of war marking um British medieval castles. And I, I love I love the kind of the the sort of the, the apparent conflict of eras and epochs and narratives and everything going on there. It was really not what you'd expect. Um, but it makes you think about how those buildings were used, it makes you think about the, you know the passage of time and also how boring it would have been to be and, in prison. So graffiti is about it's it's a it's an activity to do with boredom. It's an activity to do with you know spare time. It is inscribing your identity on a particular place. The, a lot of what we've been talking about so far are very personal messages. Mm -hmm. You know, it almost like you know I was here. Yeah, that that kind of thing. I've been talking of castles. I, I took the took the kids to go and see Totnes Castle, mm -hmm. uh, which is the English Heritage Castle. If you have never been there, it's a wonderful 
example of a sort of an old sort of modern bailey castle in the middle of the ground is a tree and rather like the um rather like your your examples of castles being used as prisons Totnes castle was used to imprison soldiers right. captured during world war Two. have a look at that that is the i think it's an oak tree it is so uh, what we're looking at here is um an oak tree which has been carved by a great many people. Yeah. I mean, what, 50 names there? Giulio. Yes. So we're Italian Italian soldiers during um, the war. Yeah, April. Then we've got dates there. Mario Marucci. Um, that's fascinating. I've never seen graffiti from that era. Yeah. I don't think from the 40s. I mean, if one, I, I'm thinking about this. I mean, one of the things that... One of the things that I think is so interesting about graffiti is the way in which one particular surface could have graffiti from all periods. Mm. So if you were looking at, say, a church that wore, that was built in you know, the 1300s, you would have medieval graffiti on there and you're all the way through to modern day graffiti. The difficulty... I mean, that's very rare for documents. I mean, you don't... You it's don't, it's, you incredibly, don't those, it's, those incredibly, it's incredibly rare. Unless you're thinking about documents that are like family trees or family... Bibles that have been passed down the generations and, and used. It's very, it's very, very rare to get that kind of that sort of generational thing. Oh, I've got an example of that. Go actually, I, I've got a, I've got a, a dictionary which was given to me when I was eighteen, and um, it's got a D Willis. Uh, he wrote his name in it in a special kind of way. So he wrote Willis as like a foundation, so then the, the D as a central thing on top of it. Um, he then and then the dates of when he had it, hmm. and then he passed it to my dad, Michael Willis. So he has M Willis with yeah. exactly the same. And then I I did the same when I was eighteen, and I've just passed it on to my son. Brilliant. Um, and so yeah, we are bit excellent. Of, bit of family Excellent. We have a, we have a Daybell family Bible that sort of come come down to us. It didn't start off as a Daybell Daybell family, but it came through my grandmother's line. And I, I sort of filled it in with my my own okay. marriage and, and and children now and fill, and backfilled the the other generations. But the point I was trying to make about the about graffiti of all ages is how do we date graffiti? Mm. How do we know that something that says you know fifteen thirty three you know is actually fifteen thirty three and not somebody you know messing around in, in well it in could just modern, be after half past day. three yeah <laughs> <laughs> it could be I think what's also interesting about graffiti is the to go back to the the example that we talked about at the beginning about Michael Foote is the way in which graffiti can be used in other ways mm -hmm. so it's not simply about memorialization it's not simply about people putting personal messages there but it's a range of other um, uses that were made of graffiti in particular you know, you think about how you think about our urban landscapes today, and yeah. you think about how graffiti, is, you know, is used there um, around the world. I mean, some of it is artistic, obviously, and there's a big debate to be had about um, about graffiti and 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 high art. And you think about you think about the cleverness of somebody like Banksy, um, but there's also a sense in which you know a lot of that is political. You think of Northern Ireland and the kind of graffiti that over the 20th century crops up in, you know, on, on, on walls in Belfast. You know, and I, so I wonder whether in some ways with graffiti, what we're also being able to look at is a sort of see it as a sort of barometer of popular political and cultural opinion. Mm. You know, that goes under that goes under the radar, that the kind of opinion that isn't picked up in, you know, in opinion polls. Yeah. Um, and I, I like the idea of, 
you know, the blank wall of a house. So we're, we're, we're talking murals, essentially, yeah. here, we? yeah. which, yeah. which is different from graffiti. I mean, um, but the whole idea of painting walls is interesting because essentially they're, they're, they're a massive advertising board and you can, you, yeah. know, you, can, yeah. you can put anything you want on it. Yeah. What, what, I, what interests me about that, if you go to Bristol... Um, there's a massive graffiti culture in Bristol. Mm. Mm. Obviously, Banksy's a part of it, yeah. but he certainly yeah. isn't the only part. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Yes. Um, and I've never seen anything like it. Um, the, the, the scale of the graffiti in certain parts of Bristol. Um, and it's very much a mix. A lot of it's very wry, it's very humorous. Mm. Um, and... You know, I think that the the graffiti artists who are really making significant political points seem to be a minority, um, but it's a it's a very it's a very powerful voice mm. that they have because mm. so many people, you know, witness it. And and, yeah. and now yeah. with, with the with with social media and everything, it's so easy to share and say, look, this is absolutely yeah. fantastic. You don't yeah. have to walk past it to see it. Yeah. So you can paint something on a wall, and if it's great, it can fly around the world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, very yeah. very quickly. There's also a sinister side to it. Mm-hmm. You think about how gangs use it to mark territory, tagging, you know, the way in which, you know, they're using graffiti as a way of sort of saying, you know, this is my this is my hood. Mm-hmm. You know, keep off, keep away. Yeah. What I what I'm fascinated in though is um a lot of work that's been done recently on medieval graffiti, which is absolutely fascinating. And there's a brilliant study done by a guy called Matthew Champion. Uh, who's a, a, a sort of an archaeologist, an expert on medieval graffiti, who's been working on churches in Suffolk and in Norfolk. Uh, he produced a brilliant book called The Lost Voices of England's Churches. And there's a rich sort of range of material that he's looked at there. And I'll give you one example that, that he's found from a from a church in Cambridgeshire. That's beautiful writing. It's um squiggly... Writing, isn't it? It's um, it's a sort of it. It looks almost like a sort of form of of sort of um, 
secretary hand. Yes, it does. You know, so it's... Uh, and he dates it to about 1550. And what we've got is, in fact, the names of three girls here. Uh, the names of Catherine, Jane and Amy Maddingly. And these names are scratched in stonework in Kingston Parish Church. And they're dated to about... 1515, and it's found by this Norfolk and Suffolk medieval graffiti survey. Yeah, and and they argue that basically these refer to long dead children who were supposed to have been, you know, 1515 was a plague year outbreak, Mm -hmm. um, and it was thought that these three sisters, you know, were lost to the plague and recorded, memorialised on the church in that way. And I think graffiti is used... Um, in that way to memorial, you know, really, really to memorialise. Um, it's a place in churches. It's a place also for prayers. And I, you'll love this one. You know, I, I do like the idea of, of writing someone else's name rather than your own. Yeah. And I've got a, very much got a sense with the the SS Great Britain ones we started off talking about. That those are people's own names. It's yeah. about themselves. Yeah. It's about saying, I was here. I have endured. Yeah. I have been there. But that's a completely different thing. So you're, you're yeah. writing someone else's name, especially you're carving it in stone. Yeah. That, that doesn't happen quickly. No. No, it's, no. That's not, not an easy thing to do. So that speaks of, you know, absolute commitment to the task at hand yeah. and wanting those names to be there for yeah. for generations, for centuries, I mean, 15, 15, 300 yeah. years ago. Yeah, and it's about it's well, about memorial, it's about burial practice, it's about remembrance, you know, it's all memorialisation, it's 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 all of that. I like, also like the idea that, you know, that you said it was recently found in a church. Yeah. One of the things about graffiti, and certainly historical graffiti, is you need to get your, your head around where to look for it. Yeah. And once yeah. you know where to look for it... They, they really kind of start, start yeah. appearing. I very much found that with castles and I realised that they were all around the gatehouse. Yeah. And um, much more so than any rooms or stairwells or um, any of the other places you might yeah. expect them to be, just by essentially the front door. Yeah, door lintels are a classic, mm. a classic place for it um, in nooks of chimneys. So it's places where people, you know, can sneak in, can carve their name and it stays there up in trees as well yeah. is another is another good example trees that have you know that have been around for we should do the history four, of tree climbing years. the history of tree climbing tree would, houses would be, and tree climbing would be fantastic yeah, hiding in trees I know, I know I know a very famous story about a king who hid in a tree I, 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 <laughs> isn't that a pub <laughs> no but i mean the, the the evidence is really you know is, is incredible one of the best uh, one of my favorite examples is when i was wandering around looking for used books in Burford. Burford has a wonderful antiquarian bookshop. And I was in the local I've church. I've never even heard of Burford. Burford, Burford is just outside of Oxford, oh, okay. just in, in Oxfordshire. And um, in the church, there's the baptismal font. And carved in it is the name Anthony Sedley, 1649 prisoner. Very clearly as well. Very, very clearly. Um, this is actually, what you've got here is actually a brass, is actually a brass rubbing, a, oh, rubber, yeah, yeah, yeah. a rubbing from it. And basically, um, he spelt prisoner P R I S N E R, which is pr- obviously how prisoners should be spelt. But um, <laughs> orthography was not fixed in, the, in this period. And what we're looking at is basically a leveller, you know, um, one of the levellers who was locked up in, you know, basically trapped inside the church um, by Cromwell's forces during the the civil wars. And this is what is is sketched there. So I think what we have in a, in a, in a way, what I, what I think we're building towards is this idea that graffiti is in some ways a very democratic form. Mm-hmm. You know, um, and one of the problems for earlier periods in history, certainly pre-modern, 
is it's often quite difficult to get at ordinary people's voices. Mm. You know, if you think about how expensive paper was, it's all to do with paper, actually, it's, and, and writing surfaces. And we talked about pens and desks, you know, in a, in a previous podcast. Um, but basically, pe- paper is pretty expensive for much of the earlier period, pre-modern. Um, it's not until, you know, the 18th century that prices start falling, that, that it's becoming much more widespread. So what did people do? if they didn't write on paper and paper doesn't survive, they write in other places. Mm. So they carve into, into, into walls, they, they carve onto pots, they tattoo themselves. Right. Tattooing is a form of, of inscribing. Which should definitely do the history of tattoos. Which definitely yeah. do the history of tattoos. There's a brilliant book by a woman called Juliet Fleming. I'm going to get um, histories of the unexpected tattooed on my back. Excellent. <laughs> How about that for commitment? You get graffiti tattooed on your back. Yeah. Now, this brilliant book by Juliet Fleming called the the writing graffiti and the writing arts in early modern England that makes this that makes this case that most writing was not done on paper; it was done elsewhere. And I think that's a really sort of seductive kind of argument to make about what we what we're able to do is maybe we're able to tap these unheard voices. Yes, and I, I like the, the the so that's a leveler from the sixteen sixty four. And what you're, you're seeing there are these major kind of cultural events, cultural forces, waves, which are creating graffiti, which you can, we, you can read through that. Um, I've got a couple of other examples which, which, which reflect that. This is when I was doing my Silk Road film, and I became obsessed with photographing graffiti all along the Silk Road from, from Beijing to, to Venice, essentially. And without any doubt, the most beautiful um, street art I found was in Iran. Goodness me. Um, so here are just a few examples. Now, this is definitely graffiti. It's not a name, um, but they're, they're, they're obsessed with, with doing um, Gosh. really exquisite... Those are, those are stencils, aren't they? Yes. Um, that's not, but... That, that, no, that, that's writing, which is with the shadow of a tree on it. But these ones are of flowers. Yeah. Um, on very plain walls, that's on a door. Um, and all they've done is they've they've decorated them and they've made they've made a a city which is made out of dull mud coloured brick mm. beautiful mm. Um, and it made exploring Iran a real privilege and they're hugely proud of their street art in Iran that is spectacular absolutely amazing so these are just a couple of um, so is that that looks like an interior that's an interior of a, of a kind of a burned out house this yeah. is, this is a a modern a contemporary Iranian street artist. Um, writing in Persian script. This is called calligraphy. Calligraphy. <laughs> calligraphy. Yeah. What's that? It looks like we've got a sort of fireworks in the background, almost. Yes, a but, sort of riot of beautiful colours. And, and and Persian script is fabulous for graffiti. Yeah. Um, here's another example where where you've got layers and layers and layers of Persian script, and that all comes back to the to a, uh, a significant kind of strand of calligraphic art in Persian, where you, you write the same thing again and again and again and again and again until you reach perfection mm. in that art. So it's very re- repetitive, um, but um, particularly absorbing and fascinating. And what I love about this Iranian stuff is that the street art exploded after the Iranian Revolution in 1979. Yeah. So um, char goes, the char goes, and people start immediately expressing themselves by painting on walls in Iran. So that's a wonderful example of a major cultural event essentially um, giving birth to all of these street artists. Hmm. And if you look at the history of it, um, so um, photographs of Iran from 
early 80s, you get um, a very distinctive type of street art which is coming out in that period. So it's one thing we haven't really talked about is how, how the styles of street art change through time and change in different locations. Mm. The other example, um, which I loved and I was particularly fond of, this is the Emin Minaret in Turpan. So it's far, far west China, but it's very much in China. Yeah. But it's a mosque, yeah. very much in China. This is uh, around where the Uyghurs live, mm. um, Muslims. But what's gr great about this is that you have um, Islamic script on the bricks, but it's also next to Chinese uh. script. And... I'd never seen that before. So all of the all of the graffiti that I've seen up to now, you know, it is in yeah. um, Roman script. Yeah. Um, but here you have these two cultures colliding in this very place, um, and it it leads to this this wonderful mixture of um, very very complex Chinese Chinese characters, mm. but with with then with this Arabic script, a completely different um, different alphabet. So you can see. Um, th this this conflict, this this collision of religion, of states, of history, all all coming together in one place, mm. and I think that really made me stop and appreciate just how significant those cultural conflicts and collisions were on yeah. the Silk Road when you literally have one brick next to another brick and. Isn't isn't you know the, the the difference in the handwriting is so vivid and it makes that point so clearly and it, it must have people must have come to the same conclusions as me yeah for centuries yeah seeing that and yeah. being being aware of this cultural mix in the, in the location yeah. they were at yeah and what's also interesting is the way in which if you think about repressive societies repressive regimes you know that basically try and control and contain dissonant forces. Mm. Um, yeah, I think, again, we're seeing something like graffiti is a way that you actually, you actually are able to tap that kind of subculture, those kind of counter, counterculture voices. I mean, I think an interesting question for our listeners, though, is, you know, obviously what we've said is that graffiti is everywhere. I mean, if we were to give advice, where should people go to find, to look for graffiti? Well, um, historical graffiti. Where would you Where would you suggest? Well, I would say um, go to any English heritage owned castle, any castle, and have a look in the gatehouse. That's not his point. Um, yeah. Churches. Yeah. Um, pillars on churches. Yeah. Um, occasionally, um, up in inaccessible places. Yeah. And that's graffiti made by people who are actually building the church. But the majority of the time, it's you know, it's it's at head height. Yeah. I mean, I was I was at dinner recently. Uh, at Tiverton Castle with the lovely owners of, of Tiverton Castle and they asked me to to go and inspect their their medieval graffiti and in the in one of the gatehouses they've got um, something it was actually too dark and too too high up for me to to sort of check but they've got an example of that another great place I think is the Tower of London mm -hmm. yes and it the, is and yeah. the Tower of London has you know has really made a thing of of its graffiti and you know you 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 know exactly what the tower of london is about and you've got these sort of heartbreaking um you know these heartbreaking sort of um you know snippets yeah. and, and it's often fragment they're yeah. often fragments you're looking at york jail is another cracker more. i've seen some wonderful right. stuff in york right. down, uh, down in the cells in york right. jail right um there's one um a really beautiful picture of a ship Right, and so there's some 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 poor chap there who's dreaming of being at sea, dreaming right. of freedom. Right, um, it's you know it's it's the most kind of explicit uh, expression of his capture that you could get. He's drawn a right. sailing ship. Right, um, and which the, I actually loved the cleverest graffiti 
it has to be in the men's toilets in Oxford's Bodleian Library. Right. <laughs> brainy. It's, it's a bit brainy, brainy, very funny, yeah. very clever graffiti. Well, there's, um, there is one example, I think we should finish with it. Um, Pompeii, very yeah. famous for its graffiti. Um, obviously famous for everything that happened there, but um, it's completely covered in graffiti. And there's a very kind of um, self-aware graffiti where there's one wall where, where the, the Roman citizens have been writing horrifically rude things um, on this wall. And then someone wrote, wall, so addressing the wall he is writing on, wall, I'm amazed that you haven't fallen in ruins considering the weight of your disgusting inscriptions. <laughs> Isn't that wonderful? Brilliant. I think that's a great place to end. Yeah. Uh, so well, there we are. We've gone from the Iranian Revolution to castles, to churches. Um, to the plague. And to the loos. In, and to the toilets in the, the Bodleian. Yes. So the, there we are. visit. That's our rampage through the history of graffiti. I hope you enjoyed it. Um, do get in touch. Don't forget you're really important to us. We want to hear from you. Take photos of historical graffiti. Send it in. We'll all put it online. And I very much look forward to seeing your pictures. But that's it for now. Bye. Goodbye. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.